0: You're listening to a podcast by B.I. Norwegian Business School.
1: The central bank is a core institution in the financial system, or for that matter, in the governing of any given country's economy as a whole. On the webpage of the Norwegian central bank, Norges Bank, the main goal of the bank is simply stated. It says that the bank shall promote economic stability in Norway. Although there are those who are critical of the existence of central banks, most will accept that these are institutions that have taken on very important roles in the governing of modern economies. But where does the idea of of central banking come from? When were the first central banks established? And what role did they play in the economy? Moreover, How has the role, the goals, and the tools of the central banks developed over time? And what do the central banks do today to promote economic stability? It might also be relevant to ask to what extent central banks, through failed policies, sometimes can be the creator not of economic stability, but of instability and crisis. In their famous book on US monetary history, Anna Schwartz and Milton Friedman concluded that the Federal Reserve's failed monetary policies were largely to blame for the severity of the Great Depression of the 1930s, often called the mother of all financial crises. The Fed neither escaped criticism for their role in the buildup to the 2008 financial crisis. As many believed and still believes that they kept interest rates too low for too long and thus created the foundations for the build-up of massive price bubble in the house of Mark. It is time to say hi and welcome to a new episode in the podcast on financial bubbles, crashes and crisis. My name is Espen Ekberg. I'm a professor of economic history at BI Norwegian Business School. And as always, I will be the host of the show. And today, as you have probably realized, our subject is central banks, their history, their main functions, as well as the tools of the central bank. We are, of course, also keen to talk about the role of central banks in the build-up to and resolution of a financial crisis. And as earlier, I have invited uh, this time an uh, expert to help me out answering the various questions that I just posed. And so I'm glad to welcome you, Lars-Fredrik Öxendal, Doctor of Economic History.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, so why is Lars-Fredrik here? well... Uh, Lars Velik, I must say, he is uh, not only an academic, he is also a friend of mine, but uh, he's probably the historian in Norway who knows the most about Norwegian financial history. Uh, his doctoral thesis was titled Essays in Norwegian Monetary History, and he has later published books on the monetary history of Norway and on the history of the Norwegian Stock Exchange, and he was also heavily involved in the project that led uh, to the publication of the history of the Norwegian Central Bank. So uh, lars Frederik is probably by far the leading expert on, on uh, the subject financial history and also on the history of central banks in general. So welcome to you, Lars-Fredrik. And uh, I thought I'd just start asking, why why do you find financial history so interesting?
0: Well, just started in, in, uh, in quite another corner. Thank you for your praise. I'm not sure whether it's right, because Having uh, worked with Monfrem Financial History for 20-25 years, I more and more realize how little I really understand. But why I find it fascinating is really this, this kind of double-edged nature of finance. On one hand, finance is the thing that makes the blue world go around, have given us massive welfare gains. Have enabled the location of resources to, to, to sustain economic growth for, for, for 200 decades. So, it's on one side, finance has done a lot of good. On the other side, of course, is that finance is risky, its particular downsides, and really is a very vulnerable uh, system. So this double-edged nature is really what makes finance and, and money interesting.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. And this is also, I think, why uh, many of our students uh, like our course. Uh, they typically come from finance. Uh, they've studied finance uh, and learned all the right models of how finance works. And then they come to my course and they see how many times finance collapses and, and creates, you know, crisis. So, so um, uh, clearly, financial history is an important subject. And I think we are today going to talk quite a lot about history, uh, and particularly the history of central banking. So I started in the introduction talking a lot about, you know, what central banks uh, do and why they are important, but we haven't had central banks uh, always. So uh, I thought we should start by talking about uh, when we started, when did central banks start to develop and, and why did they develop?
0: That's that's a question with no no definite answer. You could say that central banks have been with us for no more than 120 years. Uh, But what started out as sort of embryonic central banks, uh, not with the kind of broad responsibilities central banks have today, there are kind of banks we call bank of issue which really just had a government warrant to issue circulating means of payment. Some of them were owned by the government, typical Sveriges Riksbank, which is the oldest uh, central bank uh, still in existence, while another, the Bank of England, was chartered
1: by private
0: enterprise, but given a a government charter.
1: So what did these uh, uh, central banks do? You'd call them... uh, yeah.
0: Bank of Issues, mm. Bank of issue. basically they issued paper money uh, on, the ba- on, on, on the basis of the silver and gold they had in their vault, and given that the chance that all that the, that the, given that the chance for all notes coming to 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 the to the, to the bench at the same time. Was little they issued more notes than they had in revolt. So basically, it was a very profitable industry because they issued really circulating debts where the holder, of that the note holder, received no uh, no interest, while bank typically uh, had had income on their uh, loans. So these were profit-making institutions. In the very beginning. much, very much profit-making institution, and what you call would call monetary policy at that time was really to maintain the value, the trust in these circulating uh, uh, means of payment. So trust in money. Trust in money. That was basically um, this, the monetary policy part of the bank of issue, and of course. It w- that was also a, a business decision for if money is a, is a repeated game. So if you don't maintain the, the credibility of, of, of money, you're out of business.
1: Mm. But when you read about the establishment of the Bank of England, for example, we also read that uh, it played a role in helping um, um, the British state to finance uh, its wars. um was this an important role for the Bank of England and how did it work? Well, uh, uh,
0: the Bank of England is, is, is a particular case, but you will find other examples as well. Basically, uh, in the early 1690s, the British government had a lot of debts, and the, and the private entrepreneurs who chartered uh, uh, the Bank of England. They undertook to 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 to, to 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 fix this debt to in, into long-term bonds. So basically, they become the overseer of the, the
1: the the government debt. Okay, so that in in that case, they played a role for the government. Oh yes,
0: yeah. And that was sort of the incentive for the government. To, to, for, for giving them this charter.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so what you're saying in, in, that in the beginning, the, the, the role and the functions of the central banks were quite limited. But then uh, yeah. gradually, uh, uh, this role has expanded. Mm-hmm. And uh, in what ways can you say that, uh, so for example, the Federal Reserve, when we hear about the Federal Reserve, an important function of the Federal Reserve was to work as the lender of last resort. But this was not something that uh, they talked about in when Bank of England was established initially.
0: No, not, not at all. But no. Of course, the Federal Service, that's, that's a fairly new institution in, yep. Uh, yep. in, in this context. Mm. Uh, now, I would say that the point where a bank of issue becomes a central bank is the point where the bank of issue takes a broad responsibility for the financial system. And typically... Crisis uh, works wor- work as uh, sort of uh, the mover here, and very often this is not really by design, but the bank of issues st- stands as stood as the only actor capable of taking responsibility in, uh, in a time of crisis. So, in, in 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 the UK, you could talk about the crisis of 1847-48 or the over-in-Gurney crisis in 18 I don't remember whether it is 66 or 64 but mm-hmm. it's around there it's around the... there yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and this it is this crisis uh, in a way uh, catapulted the central bank into becoming a, a actual central bank
0: very much so but in an ad hoc manner mm-hmm.
1: it responded
0: uh, to a crisis because it was the only institution capable of doing it. And the underside, if it had done nothing, had been, been bad for for the institution as well. And I think this ad hoc manner uh, is very important for understanding the development of uh, central banks. Later, I know you will will ask me about the financial crisis of 2008 or the present situation with, with, with corona. And it's basically the same kind of situation. A major ad hoc problem, crisis comes, and the central bank has to develop um, um, proper
1: uh, remedies. Yeah, so the tools that they apply, uh, they develop as they go along and meet new challenges.
0: Just to some extent. Of Mm -hmm. course, they have uh, a tool chest. Mm but if you look at the, 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 the crisis going through the last 200 years, you, you will see that the, the, the tool chest, this, 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 this always is always adding to the tool chest. Say quantitative easing in 2008, for instance, a new tool.
1: Yeah, so this idea that this institution um, is not something that some people sat down for 200 years ago and decided, oh, we need this institution, it should do four things. And let's establish it. What you are saying here is that this is an institution that has developed over time. Its roles, its uh, its functions, its tools are the result of the historical development. And in that sense, uh, the in development within the financial system has been very important.
0: I would say so, and uh, um, believing uh, that the central that central banks. Have been the same always. You have to be an economist working in a central bank to believe that. <laughs> yeah,
1: and we are neither of us are. Then, no, so, we, are, we are not. Yeah. So, neither so n- 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 central banker nor economist. So, no, no. So, uh, but okay. So, so then we can agree that okay, we talk about historical development of central banks, and we have learned that um, uh, these institutions have developed as history has, you know, developed, and um, they have responded to crisis and to developments that have uh, been, you know, specific for specific periods. Uh, okay, so then let's move uh, up to today then. So what would you say, because central banks today, we, I think we can agree they are viewed as very important institutions. And what do you think are their most important uh, functions today um, in the economy?
0: The, the textbook answer is, of course, uh, monetary policy and financial stability, which is which is true. But I think the the most important thing, at least from my perspective, is to get the the, the balance between the two policy areas right. Prior to 2008, we had a situation where where central banks really thought mostly about monetary policy meaning price stability, and disregarded uh, financial stability, saw that as a task mainly for the financial authorities, nothing that really concerned them. And of course, everything changed after 2008. But striking the right balance between uh, monetary policy and uh, monetary stability and financial stability, and realizing that they are equal tasks. That that, is, is very important.
1: Um okay, so I don't want to um so you talked about monetary policy and financial stability as major you know roles of of the central bank i don't i I really want to go back to this monetary policy uh issue and um so um perhaps the most important uh, part or role of monetary policy is to as you mentioned to to keep stable monetary values or, or to have low and stable inflation um, so why is this so important for the central bank and what do they do to to make sure that this inflation and this inflation targeting has become you know the main bo- uh, type of, of governing of, of central banks so so why is this so important and how do they do it
0: as you know very well one of the main function of money is to function as a store of, of value. Sure, sure. And then that's sort of very important. And, and the basic idea of, of um, having money as a store of value is that decisions about either consumer purchase or an inv- investment should be independent of, of time. So whether you want to buy a car today or in six months or in five years, the time, con- the co- time, concept should really not decide your decision. So, 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 so the, if if you have if you have persistent high inflation, you wouldn't be able to buy the car in 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 ten years or in six years or or or, or whatever. And so, basically, having a moderate stable inflation level not too high, not too low, is really how the actors perceive the future. In a situation where with very high inflation, people would buy things, not necessarily because they need it, but because they know that tomorrow or in a month their money will be less worth. So basically it influences when you you, you take a, a purchase, and and of course, in 1970s in particular, also and, and, and in Norway also, inflation got out of hand. You had a sort of inflation wage spiral, where uh, when, when when the parties, labor and capital, uh, negotiated over. Our payment settlements; the parties brought in inflation in um, in the demands. So basically, how this wage wage negotiation process uh, worked strengthened inflationary tendencies of the economy. So it's it's very hard to get inflation under uh, control. And of course, uh, if you have the opposite of inflation, deflation, meaning that, meaning that money increases in value over time, you have the same problem with time because you might want to do an investment today, but then you realize the value of money is increasing. So I, maybe I ought to, to, to wait a year or two to undertake this investment. And of course, this could be very wise for the, the individual economic actor. But when a number of individual economic actors think in that way, you have a major macroeconomic problem and
1: an, an investment crisis. Yeah, so, so, so keeping inflation low and stable, not too high, uh, and definitely not too, too low or negative, is important for the central bank because it affects the de- decision-making of the economic agents. Yeah, that's uh, basically uh, what you're saying.
0: Uh, basically, basically, it reduces welfare.
1: Yeah, but um, well, welfare
0: in, in 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 the economic term, not the, the, the Norwegian term. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, um, um, but then uh, central banks. So this has become very important. So, so we're governing cent- uh, our policies is based on the what we that we want to have low and stable inflation. But um, central banks also have other goals. So, for example, central banks play a role in, in making sure, or they say at least that they want to play a role in making sure that um, the society reaches an employment level as high as possible. Um, um, or um, yeah, so 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 uh, are these conflicting um, goals, or are they uh, goals that typically hang well together? That's a that's a good question. Again,
0: I think it's a question of of finding the right balance. Of course, you could have a situation where you manage to anchor the inflation inflation um, prospects at a very low level, but with high unemployment, and then you actually, as a society, have a, a major wel- welfare loss. Mm-hmm. So it's always about getting uh, uh, the balance right. Of course, in, in the U.S., the Fed have a, 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 a direct employment uh, mandate, mm-hmm. and indirectly, the Norwegian uh, inflation targeting regime is based about on, on the same uh, through, those, through, the, through, the, through the what they call the output gape, mm-hmm. gap. Mm-hmm. So basically, you should not have too much free um,
1: or unused resources in society. No, but then, and then if you, you, you now started talking about different central banks and in a way different central banks can have, uh, if not completely different, so at least some differences in, in how, what goals they set for their, their activities and what they want to achieve. And so uh, I talked a little bit about this to, to the students about how the Norwegian central bank, when they set their interest rates, uh, the price of, 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 uh, of money, they have to think a lot about also the exchange rate of the Norwegian kroner. And uh, and why is that uh, so important for the Norwegian central bank and not for, for example, the Federal Reserve?
0: Well, uh, in the beginning, and in the beginning, in, in the meaning of the, in the beginning of inflation targeting, mm. people didn't think much about the exchange rate at all, uh, because now we had left a Montpoulsi situation where. The main goal was to maintain a fixed exchange rate uh, regime. And then Norway moved to inflation targeting. And for Norway, of course, it was it was like uh, coming out of a straitjacket. But in the end, you can't really disregard uh, the exchange rate why first of all norway is a small open economy which means that prices in norway are to a large extent um, dependent on our import bill Mm -hmm. so if you strengthen the krona the import bill will go down mm-hmm. and help reduce uh, domestic inflation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes not. So you always have to, to look to the exchange rate side as well. And the other side is, of course, that um, we also have to look to the rest of Europe because the, the um, bank rate can diverge from from the rest of Europe, mm-hmm. but not too much. And in times where uh, the, the Norwegian bank rate has diverged uh, substantially from, from the rest of Europe... Uh, so much, no, higher, ma- much higher, for instance. Much mm-hmm. higher, for instance, than the Krona has uh, appreciated yeah, because then people want to ha- to have kroners, and then basically yes. Mm-hmm. So you you, you all, you all um, central banking or monetary policy is it's really an art. You have to balance a lot of consideration, yeah. and you have to strike what you think is the right balance. So, for instance, in in, uh, in the early period of uh, inflation targeting in Norway, the the early 2000s, Um, uh, Bank probably believed they had more lever- uh, more freedom to maneuver than they actually had. And they had a, up to, I think it's up to four uh, per- uh, percentage points difference in interest rates to, to the rest of, of Europe. And of course,
1: uh, the corona appreciated strongly. Mm-hmm. So this idea that um each, and, each every and every country can uh, have their independent monetary policy. It's not really true because uh, the international financial system hangs so well together that uh, this will not work in practice.
0: I would say so. And of course, there are, there, there are differences between countries. Mm-hmm. A small open economy like Norway obviously has less freedom than the United States. On the other hand, United States today really have less freedom than they had a hundred years ago because uh, international trade is also, even for for a country with a great home market like the U.S., have become much more important than it was a hundred year uh, years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> um, we, 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 are, we are all talking our favorite language, yeah, sure. broken Nordic academic English. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, uh, so I think we should uh, should um, should uh, move on a little bit. So we we talk about the role of central banks uh, traditionally. You know, there's basically two things: monetary policy and uh, and financial stability. And uh, and what you just are said earlier was that while central banks may have you know been less concerned with financial stability earlier, they have been become more and more um, concerned with that um, in recent years. Uh, not least because of um, uh, different types of financial crisis but then there's also other institutions um, who are concerned with financial stability such as regulatory authorities and uh, and um, who are also monitoring the the financial system it's not only the central bank who is um, who is doing that um, I thought we'd just then uh, move a little bit forward because we started this podcast and we agree that, you know, the development of central banks is really not something that uh, turns out to be a planned thing. It's something that has happened. The role of central banks, their functions... Have uh, developed over time, and as you just said, you know, inflation targeting as a way of of uh, doing monetary policy is really something very new. It it started off in Norway in the early two thousands, and before that, they had differ- actually actually late nineties. Yeah, okay, late late nineties, um, but um, but before that, there were other principles for how you could govern should govern the central bank, and before that, again, you had other principles. So so this is something that. Um, um, is developing as, as the world is developing. Uh, after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, um, uh, uh, and also today when we have this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we have seen the central banks again, develop their toolbox, you could say. Um, uh, what would you say is the most important and most, mm, yeah, the most important new tools that the central banks have developed, uh, in, let's say, the last 10 or 15 years?
0: That is, without doubt, uh, quantitative easing, which has really ballooned the balances of of, of central banks. And basically, that's a sort of an an instrument to, 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 of course, it's an instrument which is, really to get a lot of liquidity into the banking system in order to make um, the bank rates efficient uh, so it to some extent it has it has similarities with with, with sort of traditional uh, um, uh, market-making, the the market-making role of uh, of Central Bank. But this is something new because it's undertaken on such a a dramatic uh, scale and over a very long period of time. And the verdict on how efficient it
1: has been, I'm not sure. We talked a little bit about this in an earlier podcast uh, when we talked about money. Yeah, and uh, what was the verdict then? Well, uh, the, we talked to a central banker, and he didn't really want to 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 be either positive or negative. I think so. He said the the jury is still out whether it works or not. He 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 said the studies are still being conducted. And but but what what you just said was that you know the 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 consequence of this is that the balance sheet of the central banks are growing. And, uh, and how how big can these balance sheets become? And and also this is this is um, this is something that uh, touches upon the the independence of central banks. I think, because we have the, had this ideal for a few for quite some time that these central banks should be independent from from um, from from the governments, from 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 um, from politicians, and they should you know be able to to make decisions. Uh, uh, Based on what they think is the is you no know, is the wise thing to do, uh, but as these balance sheets expand, the the central banks also become uh, you know we become more and more reliant on them, and is there at some point that that we have to say that we have to have some more control or some more democratic control or what these central banks are doing? Oh, I don't think I
0: agree with your with your uh, starting point.
1: No. Good, that's here.
0: (laughs) I mean, central bank independence is a sort of quasi-libertarian political program Mm -hmm. uh, uh, supported by people who have read read too much Austrian economics. Mm -hmm. Central banks have never, never, never been really independent of the government that upholds it. They have always function as a tool of government policy. And really what happened in Norway 30 years ago was that the central bank gained a more independent, autonomous role in how to conduct monetary policy. But the mandate, the policy mandate for Norges Bank and for most other central banks are set by political authorities, and central banks are really under political control. So I mean, this, this, this—I I think this is sort of—it's—it's it's, it's more a political discussion than a discussion about realities. Because a central bank would never be stronger than the strength of the government uh, supporting it, and, and that is very much true in in type in type of financial crisis situations and typically in 2008 no one would have would have trusted the ballooning balances of central banks had it not been for the fact that they were um, upheld by states Oh, so they were, yeah. So, that's so, so, uh, so, so, I, I don't really uh, agree with this, with this, uh, with this uh, view. But, but I fear there is an other problem here. For basically under inflation targeting, central banks sh- should aim at achieving monetary stability, which is good for economic growth, good for. Society, period. What I what have I experienced, or what I'm thinking we are experiencing after 2008 is that central banks are tasked with more and more. Um, so they got their more and more functions
1: in a way. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, not necessarily function, but politicians, and particular politicians... Because they are not able or not willing to take hard decisions themselves, they rely on the central banks to get them out of the uh, of quick wire. Uh, so instead of structural reforms or, in a very deep crisis, active fiscal policies, they have tended to, 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 to believe that the central banks should sort of managed to, on their own, uh, maintain a, a, a good climate for economic grow, growth and, and job
1: creation. And I, I don't think that's really possible. But that, that then, in a way, you could say that the politicians are using this perception that the central bank is independent. Uh, in uh to to you know to push the responsibility on over to the central bank and say okay we are not controlling the central bank they are doing the things that they are doing yeah. it's independent so um uh, so this is a way of escaping for politicians responsibilities to to some extent i, mm-hmm. d- I think
0: uh, because i remember very well um and this was i think it was around the time of the of the oil price fall of 2014 maybe it was a bit before uh and the then central well the central central bank governor olsen in Norges in bank he said in one in one of his annual speeches that the central bank now had created a, a breathing space for the government mm-hmm. but now it was up to the government to act and basically i think uh, Many perceive that the central bank is still sort of creating a breathing space and waiting for the waiting
1: for for the response <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so, so that's an interesting uh, so so that uh, um, because you could be uh, you could be afraid that uh, uh, that central banks are becoming too powerful, but what you actually are saying is that um, at least with your examples from Norway that politicians are really handing this power. To uh, the central banks, uh, more or less voluntarily, because they don't want to take responsibility themselves. Well, mon- uh, yes, and, and 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 the end result
0: might be that monetary policy or central banking is our burden mm-hmm. and uh, will be less good
1: in uh, in delivering what they what I actually should deliver. So, if we go back to the beginning, uh, central banks where we really not doing a lot they had a few you know important functions and then this uh, uh, uh yeah this the number of functions have you know become too big too many uh, uh, expanded
0: yeah you could say that for 100 150 years central banks have, have dealt with monetary and financial stability or at least taken responsibility for the payment system mm uh and as the so- as society and the financial system has been more complicated those roles have been wider and, and wider and also
1: become more more complex okay but okay so so um i think we are we are close to the to the end here but um i think we need to just finish off we, we talk about central banks and central banking and uh, as something uh, General, uh, uh, we have talked a little bit about different central banks in different countries, but uh, we have talked about it in a way at something that is very similar across uh, borders. Uh, would you say that this is this is actually the case, or is it is there are there you know many important differences between how central banks in different countries work? Or could we say there is, you know, there are the central banks uh, with the big C have s- specific uh, roles and specific tools, and these are similar across the board. Well, I think that
0: sort of the objectives are very much the same across the board, but how these objectives are understood varies very, very much about. Still, varies very, very much uh, reflecting the actual context of the country and and, uh, and the historical background of the institutions. Just take one rather pregnant example. We have three Scandinavian countries. Norway, uh, inflation targeting. The Danes just shadow the euro, basically doing... Uh, whatever they do in, in, in Frankfurt, mm-hmm. but, but still not members of of, of of the Eurozone. Sweden, not members of the Eurozone, but of the EU, f- and follows an extremely independent uh, monetary policy path, which is sort of really sort of, the, you know, in a way, uh, not dissimilar to how they meet the, um, the COVID-19
1: yeah sure. the challenges <laughs> yeah they very
0: very very much uh on their own and with a very strong uh belief in their in their in their experts in their
1: experts very much so mm-hmm. yeah so so they their overall uh, function is is the same but how they uh, you know uh, actually conduct their their monetary policy varies even between three countries that we regularly look upon as quite similar yeah, that's an interesting perspective, I think. So um, what have we done in this podcast? We have talked very you know, generally about central banks, about their history, how uh, their roles have developed over time. Uh, we have not gone into details of how uh, central banks work <laughs> or what they do to actually create monetary stability. I, I think it's more interesting when we have a historian here who is, has a broad perspective to look upon the central bank in a broader Uh, perspective so i think we achieved what we what we wanted to do in this podcast and maybe later we can come back and talk more about the detail you know more details about quantitative easing more details about how interest rates are you know set how uh, uh, central banks do open market uh, uh, policy operations uh, operations. yeah so so i think we we are we are done actually i can say thank you for coming spending your time uh, talking to me about central banks and it was very nice to have you here nice being here thank you very much
0: this is a bi production listen to more podcasts go to bi.no slash podcasts